Welcome to the Healing the City podcast. In this episode, Eric Siepen and Amanda Markwart continue their conversation about trauma. In particular, they discuss having compassion for your body and holding space for yourself in the midst of your stress and anxiety. That you have to have like compassion yeah. for yourself and your body. Yeah. And and you said it was interesting that and you cuz we did a lot of talking about how Christianity mm-hmm. historically except for some you know, offshoots really has separated the body mm-hmm. and the mind. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of contempt for the body mm-hmm. and worship of the mind. Yeah. And we're, when we're talking mind, we are not talking about the integrated mind. We're talking about the rational the mind. Intellectual, the intellectual. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of contempt for the body. And so part of even just integrating you, you we're talking about having compassion for mm-hmm. yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I hear you yeah. saying. Can you, I mean, I know this is a hard question. Maybe or maybe it's really easy for you, but, what are some of the processes of just having compassion for yourself mm-hmm. and your yeah. body and the way you think? Yeah. Because I think that's actually foreign to people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure it is. Um, I think the very first step is just to be aware of even what I think that that's that's the the first step in almost every good process is to just begin to get an awareness of what your experience even is. So you start to get really curious um, instead of just going through your day on autopilot, you stop and you check in with what is this making me feel just just out of curiosity of like, you know, oh, I'm making breakfast. What is this like for me? Oh, I'm in a stressful commute to work. What is this like for me? And you just go through your whole day checking in with body sensations. Um, so you might be looking for things like, is my mind still or is my mind racing? Um, what are the quality of my thoughts? Are my thoughts positive? Are they neutral? Are they kind of pessimistic? Um, what am I thinking about? Am I thinking forward? Am I thinking back? Am I in the present moment? Uh, what's my body state like? Do I feel tension anywhere? Do I feel looseness anywhere? Do I feel, um, present in the moment or do I feel foggy headed and dizzy? Do I feel warmth or coolness, um, clamminess or, you know, any of those different kinds of sensations, tinglings, pressure, tension in the stomach, tight breath, heart rate. So there's lots of different things to kind of check in with. So that's the first step. Which makes me think, you know, I, I, we spend so much of our life going through all these routines, even doing things we enjoy, mm-hmm. not enjoying them, mm-hmm. not knowing what we're experiencing when we enjoy them. Right. And so we don't, we don't relish. Right. That's one of the questions that I love that we ask all the time in SE work is how do you know? How do you know that you feel that? So if somebody says, you know, oh, I'm going to go see my mother-in-law for lunch and okay, well, how do you, what do you feel about that? Um, Oh, I'm just dreading it. Oh, what lets you know that you're feeling that? What does that feel like? How do you know that you're dreading it? Um, and so then you said, oh, and they usually are like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> it's obvious. Mother-in-law, right. lunch, dread. Right. I mean, sometimes like we can't, we got to work even to just be able to get to the feeling words. Right. You right, know, right. so. That's um, true. Yeah. So just beginning to get an awareness and develop like what we call like a somatic narrative of like we have this cognitive thought-based narrative mm-hmm. uh, of mother-in-law's coming over and now here are all my thoughts and here are all the things that she's done in the past and here's my narrative of, of why our relationship is difficult. And that stuff starts to float through your brain even if it's not super conscious um 
but there's a somatic narrative going on too, right? Right, that we're completely disconnected from. So just beginning to get familiar with what's happening and begin to try to search for words that describe it and just get familiar what's happening in you and what are your normal responses because everybody has a different one some people are more what we call like freezy you know Mm -hmm. where they'll go into freeze and they'll get really foggy headed and like not be able to think clearly and they they lose their words you know cat got your tongue that kind of stuff and other people become very effusive and red in the face and like you can't make them shut up so whatever your experience is it is and so i think that's the second step is just to move out of a place of judgment and understand like what is is Uh, that's and i i like i like that the well how do you know that whatever how do you know that yeah emotion right yeah that you put words to yeah um yeah, and even just experience, like even if you can't get a word for it, that's okay. But just to sit in that, just to sit in that experience. And that I think that's another step is to begin to slow it down. Right. So, I, I know I know a lot of, I mean, I think one of the things that's been helpful to me is to, to locate yes. that. And, yeah. and, and actually put my hand on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because some people feel, you know, if you feel anxiety in your throat, you mm-hmm. can say, I feel it in my throat. But as soon as you touch your throat, oh, you're like, <gasps> Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. Like you begin to see how how much it is. Yeah. yeah, Because your brain's like having this weird experience. It's, uh, and it's, it's kind of trying to reassess things. And yeah, when you do that. Yeah. It's a really good way to like, we do like exaggerate it. Yeah. You know, so sometimes if you're, if somebody's struggling to get in touch with what's happening in their body to exaggerate that sensation or the movement they want to do can be really helpful. Yeah, it was it was really fascinating in in our one of our pilgrim groups. I made our group just go around and do that as they were talking mm. about a stressful event, mm-hmm. and it is pretty humorous mm-hmm. to see all these grown men from different ages. You're talking about like sixty five down to yeah. in the mid twenties, mm-hmm. touching different parts of their body, mm-hmm. and, and realizing that I think what people it was so funny because everybody was either using stress or anxiety as a word mm-hmm. to describe an event, but or an experience of an event. But when they put their hand on the spot mm-hmm. and they saw mm-hmm. everybody, like you have this realization, oh, like I don't actually know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Then, whereas anxiety, if I say anxiety, a lot of people, oh yeah, I have anxiety. Right. But anxiety is very different from right. person to person. And where you experience it. Right. And, and so it's, it was really fascinating to watch. And I think yes. it's eye-opening. Yeah. Like, because my experience when I feel anxiety is that like I get tight throat, stomach churns, chest tightens, and I want to just talk and move. <laughs> I need to clean something. I need to go for a walk. My husband's experience of anxiety is that he gets very foggy headed, kind of dissociated, not well integrated. Pupils go big, face turns white. Those are very different. Right. And so your next step is going to be very different. And he's kind of a, a higher elevation. Yeah. So he's frozen where you're kind of fighting. In yes. Sense. Oh, you're, I'm always fighting. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Flight does not come into my mind. <laughs> it's the same nervous system state, but that's not the option I'm going for. Right. Right. So those are, that's, these are like, even just that is enough to begin mm-hmm. to change the way you understand yourself yeah. and experience things. Yeah. And I think one of the things that can help with that is beginning to, I mean, cause part of the process of, um, healing and not just healing. Cause if you're a person that doesn't really identify with having deep wounds, um, 
or big traumas, just like we've said, like being in this culture, it has taught you to not take a compassionate stance and to just kind of accept and hold the world in your life with an open hand. So beginning to shift to that way of being, mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways is a process of reparenting yourself yes, and yeah, yeah, and allowing your community to step into that with yeah. you. Um, so when you are kind of beginning to go through this process of having more of an awareness of your somatic narrative or how that integrates with other parts of your experience is to imagine like what would the perfect parent say to you as you sit there with your stomach clenched up because you're nervous or you're afraid or you're sad or hurt um maybe not what your parent would have said but what would the perfect and i think as followers of jesus it's a great Mm -hmm. opportunity to bring yeah the father into that yes and he's already said a lot that we can cling right. to but yes and sometimes i think it can also be very hard too because yes. people have experienced abuses by the church sure. and i know you know that and you've yeah. dealt with so many stories like that so sometimes um it can be it's like a little trick from like gestalt you know the externalizing yes. where if it's too threatening to experience because sometimes even just experiencing compassion can be very scary yeah. oh yeah yeah and so externalizing it can be a very helpful trick if that's difficult for you so if experiencing the love of the perfect parent or of god or even of your friends um is too overwhelming for you you can externalize that experience and mm-hmm. begin to say like what would it be like for um somebody that i know to experience that um where have i seen that show up in my life who uh something that's been very helpful in my journey has been to think about my kids or other kids that I know. Right. Yeah, and you had talked about that. Yeah, yeah. So that that's just like those all those little tricks to begin taking small steps towards it. And I think that's another strategy of how you move towards a compassionate stance is take it slow. Like slow the whole thing down. Like you have the rest of your life. It's not going anywhere. I, I think that's an important point. I think when you're talking about our culture and I think, I mean, I was thinking as you were talking, I'm like, I operate from the presupposition that this is a traumatizing culture. Mm-hmm. So we're all under some form of stressful Stress. yeah, trauma. Absolutely. But I, it's also a, one that wants a fast fix. Yeah. And and no, this they is don't exist. it's okay to have the slow process. Yes. It yeah. it's necessary. It's necessary. It does not exist. It does not exist to to have a fast fix. Right. It it's a band-aid. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it's, yeah. And I just lost my train of thought there. <laughs> no, I know what I wanted to talk about because okay. we were in next step because you said something really important and that was that bringing in your community. Mm-hmm. And yet, again, if we go back to this idea of an animal itself is not going to say, I'd like to be vulnerable and talk about the lion while mm-hmm. he's in the room, right? But not necessarily <laughs> true because animals do have acts of vulnerability. That's true. Very much so. So a dog like flipping over on its back, it that is the most th- vulnerable position it can true. be in. It's it, like with somebody who's safe. Yes, yes, because it's exposing. Well, and it's also that's the fawn piece yeah. that I'm talking about, right? Is that um, it can be it can be a strategy to help you navigate a stressful situation, but it's also like a, a way to have social connection. That's true. Right? That like when a dog, for instance, flips 
flips over on its back, it's exposing its viscera and it's like giving you access to all of its vital organs. Right. So that that that's true is a form. It's not just not a form of that. submission, but it's also a form of connection right. that says like, and it's the same act that we do when right. we, you know, expose like uh, something that we struggle with right. or something that's a secret or something right. that we hold close to our heart. So can you talk maybe a little bit about if if I'm able to step into this space of honesty or vulnerability, mm-hmm. what what happens when I'm vulnerable with somebody? Mm. Like what happens to my stress? What happens to my mm-hmm. trauma? Mm-hmm. Like what happens to me physiologically? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, of course, it depends on your nervous system yes. and your past experiences and all of that. But I think just generally... Um, all of us experience a little bit of like what we call a sympathetic bump, you know, which is just um, a little bit of activation in in the nervous system to say, am I safe? So I'm going to put that secret out on the table and then I'm going to, when you get a sympathetic bump, what's happening is it's just your body going into a higher alert state in order to orient to danger. Is there danger here? So it's giving you, it's almost giving you like a little bit of superpowers, right? right. It's bringing all of your resources to your um, sensory information systems, right. right? So now all of my focus is on the situation assessing how is this going am i in danger do i need to do something so as a human if i'm going to tell you something that's really a struggle and um, reveal something really vulnerable i'm going to get a little bit of a sympathetic bump so maybe my stomach's going to tighten up maybe my throat's going to tighten up a little bit might get a little teary-eyed um might have difficulty spitting it out of my mouth you know getting the words out sure and i would say like even i get that i got that when we first started podcasting Mm because you're like how are we going to talk for this is vulnerable how are we going to talk for an hour what am i going to say right and so So but then like dig under that a little bit more like why does it even matter because when we go to coffee like we don't worry about how long we're going to talk right exactly so like what is it it's the fact that other people are now listening in and like are they judging me is this good and then i have a nice shame narrative to bring to the table right of of like oh i'm exposed and you're gonna see that i'm inadequate right i don't know what i'm talking about and this is dumb and i'm gonna go home now right 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 yeah i'm done (laughs) flight (laughs) which is yeah that's going to be my mode right yeah i'll just chew you out for calling me bad names and not thinking i'm Competent, right. <laughs> and I'll just be like, "Ah, that's too much energy." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you do you get a little bit of a sympathetic bump in those kind of situations, and the thing that, like, we have to understand with emotionally vulnerable um, experiences as a human being is it really is coming from a more mammalian part of our sure. experience, right? Which is yeah, which the honoring that is a big yeah. big deal, right? Because it's not. A logical process you know uh, like we still of course use that part of our brain in order to get the words out and explain it and organize our narrative but like at the heart of it it's a very base level bottom-up experience of what i'm looking for is social connection because mammals are social beings and they need each other for survival and so part of our experience of um of survival and what gets us there is the bonding and the acceptance because if you're not accepted by the herd like you're gonna be cast out and now you're alone yeah right and now you're vulnerable so as human beings and you know we share that with with other mammals that we need each other and it's wired in and programmed into us and it's a beautiful thing to honor yeah that's that's cool 
So one of the things that we um, talk or started talking about, because some of this is you have to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. A big, I mean, if you're just, for instance, just the easy one, the mother-in-law coming mm-hmm. over, if that's it and we just you're you're like this is all you did was you listen to the podcast that would be helpful Mm -hmm. but the reality is if you really want to pursue a healthy relationship just internally and then with your Mm mother-in-law you have to put things into your life that are practices yeah that prepare you for these things yes they they empty your cup so to speak or keep your your lifeboat Yes. Yeah. Clear, yeah. Yeah. Clear of water. Whatever. We're gonna have to figure out. We're going with the cup for the lifeboat. I'm gonna have to love, think about I this. I love the cup. You really like the cup, as long as it's not confusing. I don't I'll, think I'll leave it, it up is. to you. Okay. We're gonna do the cup. We're doing the cup. We're sticking so, with it. However, however that like, you have to practice. So one of the things, yeah. a couple of things you talked about. Um, one is that actually, you know, dealing with stress, you can't just go binge yeah. Netflix or. You know, over go overeat or right. relax in this. You know, oh, I'm just going to sit at home in my bed and mm-hmm. watch TV all day, and that's going to help me deal with my stress. Yeah, it'll dissociate you a yes. little bit. It'll numb you, yes. like literally numb you, because your body's going to send out <laughs> right. numbing chemicals into right. your brain, and so that's one of the reasons why we do that. Yes. So, because sometimes, um, if you get into a high stress state. Uh, and you don't have a well-regulated nervous system or you don't have the tools to be able to regulate back down into a calm state, what you can do is begin to find the things that put you into a freezy state, whether that's your body escalating itself, like Mm -hmm. with some of the clients that I work with, I, I think the process going on for them is that they will get more and more aggressive so they can get to a freeze state so their bodies will release those chemicals so they can regulate back right. down. That makes sense. For the rest of us, when you are binge watching Netflix or you're eating chocolate until your stomach bursts or like whatever, like those things have a similar impact right. on the body that it's gets like a drug. you. It's, yes, it's, it is. It's absolutely. A, it's just a drug. Yeah, absolutely. So I think like that's that's important to understand the difference between yes. am I regulating and integrating and allowing my body to come back down into a calm state right. or am I just numbing myself to right. get myself back down right yeah big difference so and, and there's a couple of ways i want to go with this so i'm just going to throw a few things at you and mm-hmm. let you talk out of them. so i might think okay so i'm not going to do this netflix thing so i'm going to go run but maybe like home mm-hmm. is tough so running is a way of escape yeah um so can this be built into more than just the typical oh i binge netflix mm-hmm. or i mm-hmm. can i build this in like do i can i just you have sort of the same escapism or mm-hmm. numbing in other yeah by doing things that seem healthier. healthy oh yes all the time yeah yeah so i think i mentioned in one po- podcast that i worked in the crossfit community yes, for a while you doing, did. yeah wellness stuff and saw it all the time all the time Um, And I think I experienced it myself, too, that exercise was definitely a strategy that I used for a long time to escape. Um, And yeah, so I think even things that look healthy, meditation is a huge one, is one that like people like I love mindfulness. I meditate daily, you know, but when you're using it to escape. Right. It's not healthy right. because it's not helping your nervous system to regulate. Right. It's just numbing you out. So one of the things, uh, first, we, we only got into one rhythm. Yeah. And that was to just go walk. walk. Right. Yeah. So the, one of the psychiatrists I really like named Kurt Thompson 
one of his assignments that he gives his clients early on Mm -hmm. is that their first week they have to go out for five minutes, find a tree, touch the tree, Mm -hmm. and then associate every single thing they feel in their fingers to that tree Mm. and then go back in their house. I like it. And he's just slowly trying to get them aware of their body and Mm -hmm. what they're experiencing. And so... And it's also an externalizing thing. And, yes. Again, yeah, Again, because your, the tree is going to hold it for me and yes. I don't know if I can hold it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think what I hear you saying and what I'm hearing other places, and it makes sense, mm-hmm. is that if I'm going to go begin to create healthy patterns in my life mm-hmm. that are going to help me regulate and integrate, and I have to be aware of what I'm yeah. doing. Yeah. Very first. Very first. Very first thing I got to do. So, yeah. so that means that when I go run mm-hmm. or take a walk, mm-hmm. I have to be aware. Okay. Mm-hmm. So one way, of, but but physical activity we know is a good a good way. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it. Is there some other things that I can do? Mm-hmm. And how would I go about doing that? To be an increasing awareness? Yes. Yeah. So one of the things I used to say when I, I taught mindfulness and wellness uh, was anything can be a practice of awareness, anything. Right. The trick isn't so much what you are doing as how you are doing it. Okay. Right. So, you know, take eating for an example, like, you know, we're often just like, get it in as quickly as possible. We're reading a book or we're, you know, talking or we're, you know, doing something else while we're eating and that's fine. But for instance, you can make that a practice um, of uh, of mindfulness and awareness because it's something that we all do every day. So it's another really good one that it's already something that's in your life, I hope, that you're eating, <laughs> right? right. Um, and the way you do it is you just begin to, as you're eating, like take that as a time that I'm going to be aware. So it, even if like, for instance, I have to eat my lunch in the car in between clients, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. And I hate it and it sucks, but like that's my life right, right. now. So that's what I have to do. Um, so I try to just um, use it as a, a time and a practice to just become aware of like, oh, the crunch of the bell pepper or... Right. Um, just what does it feel like? What does it taste like? All those kinds of things. But the other thing too that I think you can do is to begin to release with awareness and connect in. When you give yourself that space to um, let your mind just wander, it allows your brain time to integrate. And that's the reason why mindfulness and why silence and space is so important because your brain needs that space to be able to process through. But I think just watching for like, where is the moment of release? Like where's the moment that I can feel in my body that I'm releasing and integrating. So with, you know, eating it can just by being really present in the moment and looking at the textures and colors and the flavors or if you're eating with somebody and it's a social thing like noticing how it feels to be sitting across the table with somebody with your cup of coffee and just you know it's all about just again the awareness and like kind of naming the somatic narrative and paying attention to when it feels good when there's that moment of release like sit in it for a minute and just like oh let's enjoy that let's let's just sit there for a second it's a good good thing yeah. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, 
and I think you basically just said it, that it's not just you individually. Mm -hmm. Like when you sit and eat, there's something actually that's happening between your brains. Yes. When two people are doing that exact same thing. So if you're connected and they're connected and you're enjoying whatever's Mm -hmm. happening together, like what's happening there? Can you talk a little bit about what happens? Well, eating is one of the most vulnerable things that we can do. Right. Uh, Because if you think about it back to like the mammalian world, to eat means to pause from what you're doing and put yourself in a in a posture that isn't always um, great for if you needed to defend yourself. Right. right? So the lion is going to have to like stop looking around in order to look at his food, which means the hyena could be coming up on top of him. Like, you know, Um, so I think eating in and of itself can be a vulnerable act for Humans, I think it still can be a vulnerable thing. And you see that a lot, even in like the social narrative around, I think women especially struggle with like eating in front of other people and there being a lot of shame about that. Mm. Um, I don't know if men struggle with that as much. I don't know. Maybe we just struggle with eating too much together. Okay. Yeah. There you go. All right. So I, I think there's some there's some elements to it where it can be a vulnerable act. Right. Um, or like, oh my gosh, like what if I choke on my food? Or like what if, <laughs> right. you know, what if I what sure. if I eat too much? What if this person judges me? Whatever. It can be a vulnerable thing. Well, I think actually what's vulnerable is enjoying food together. Mm-hmm. Like I think, you know, when you get together yeah, guys, girls are together like there's something mm-hmm. like when you're both like, This is really good. Yeah. And and I'm enjoying it. And right. You're enjoying it. Right. The act of enjoyment in and of itself. Together. Yeah. Because like, what if I'm enjoying it and like you're not, yeah. but I'm like, this is great. And you're like, yeah, I'm really bored. Right. <laughs> yeah. So for humans, it's a little bit more of a complex experience yes. as to why it's vulnerable. Um, but I, yeah, but within the process of eating, I mean, think about all of the the good things that happen in your body when you put fuel into your body like your body is releasing all of these yes do more of this and you have the feeling of fullness and of satiety and of this tastes really good so even if you weren't with somebody else the act of eating in and of itself is a very good experience and then when you add in somebody else now your body begins to associate like this is good with this other person Right, which is, I think, why a lot of social gatherings tend to happen around food. Yeah. 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 I mean, because if you think all the way back, that's really like the first way that we bond with our caregivers Mm. is through eating. And when you're a little tiny baby, you're really just a very disorganized nervous system. And eating is one of the first things that begins to organize you. You've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Eric Steepen. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.